Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast on blood glucose monitoring. My name is Jan and I'll be your host today and this podcast is sponsored by Pharmaco Diabetes. I'm also very pleased to have Michelle Robbins on board who I remember from days of working. She's going to be discussing a topic that's really the, the cornerstone to diabetes management. Michelle has been working as a credentialed diabetes educator since 1993 and endorsed nurse practitioner for 16 years. She's currently employed at Northern Health in Melbourne and she's worked on 60 diabetes-related committees and working parties. Michelle has also produced book chapters, presented at national and international conferences with more than 60 workshops and more recently podcasts and webinars. In 2010, she received the Jan Baldwin Award to recognise and reward excellence in holistic approach to diabetes management and care. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? And thank you so much for joining us on on what must be a busy day for you. Oh, Jan, thank you for that lovely warm introduction and warm welcome. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to be joining you and for anyone that's listening in, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us both today. Thank you for that. So we might start. Um, Today, as I've already mentioned, we'll be discussing blood glucose monitoring and how to get the best out of it. I'm wondering if you could explain to us perhaps the importance of blood glucose monitoring for all types of diabetes. Thanks, Jan. I I guess I really want to start at at, at right at the beginning in that often when people are brand new to uh, type 2 diabetes, for example, and they're not monitoring their blood glucose levels at all, I often describe it as being like sitting in a dark room without really knowing what's going on. And in fact, back in the days when I used to uh, participate in diabetes groups, in that group situation, I used to turn off the lights in the room and say, this is what it's like not monitoring your blood glucose levels in knowing how things are going with your diabetes. Uh, So, you know, sitting in the dark is not always a good thing in terms of understanding how your diabetes is working. So being able to check blood glucose levels, it does provide that immediate clinical feedback and we are able to see trends and patterns um, no matter what type of uh, diabetes a person may have and it's a little bit like trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together because everyone's diabetes is different and it allows people with diabetes to experiment with certain foods see what happens after different types of physical activity and also know when they can have a bit of a day off if they've got something special uh, coming up as well, particularly a, a special social occasion. But it's also a, a catalyst that allows us to look at when we might need to review medications or whether we need other healthcare professionals involved as well. Um, and most importantly, it's about trying to reduce clinical inertia and improve health outcomes for all people with diabetes. Of course, there are different types of diabetes. So that means there are different uh, levels of NDSS subsidy access for blood glucose monitoring, which doesn't always seem very fair at times, but at least there's some form of uh, subsidy for people monitoring their blood glucose levels. 
I also think one of the most important things is it's not about having pretty numbers in a book either. Uh, doing uh, blood glucose monitoring is about obtaining really uh, meaningful clinical information for that individual so that they are safe, they, they can feel well, they can feel empowered and importantly confident in the way they're managing their diabetes and what's working for them. I think where blood glucose monitoring really falls down in our practice is that we're often um, looking at it as a task. Uh, it's just something to do and write the number in a book uh, rather than really understanding that it's around clinical clinical information, meaningful information, and that this can actually be life-changing, having this type of information as well. I think the other thing is that often as healthcare professionals, we're very quick to react to one blood glucose level rather than taking a step back and looking at the whole picture, looking at patterns and really trying to provide a context to uh, some of the results and some of the readings that people are getting so that there's a better understanding of what they mean. Thank you for that. So then why do doctors and CDEs specify a certain number of blood glucose tests per day? I mean, what's the difference between testing before or after meals? I think firstly, we might have to start looking at what it feels like for the person with diabetes, their life experience, because for some people, their first introduction into blood glucose testing is as an inpatient. And they feel like every time a nurse walks into the room, they're getting their finger pricked. It's quite overwhelming, the number of tests that are often being done. Uh, when someone's in hospital. So that often is, is one of the worst introductions into blood glucose monitoring, why we're doing it, how often we're doing it. I think though what we often don't need is lots and lots of testing being done, but the way we should be looking at blood glucose monitoring is that it should be done in a very strategic way. And so we might be looking at recommending, um, you know, more testing when diabetes is new or when we're making big changes to uh, medication or lifestyle, particularly where there is the risk of hypoglycemia with insulin or sulfonylureas. But then if there is less uh, risk, if people aren't on those sorts of medicines, we could be more relaxed with the frequency, but also be trying to uh, check at different times of the day because again it's going to be very important to recognize people's patterns. Uh, often uh, people with type 2 diabetes their highest blood glucose level can be first thing in the morning uh, and it could be much lower later in the day. So often being strategic where we're testing uh, at different times of the day can be very useful. I know that often with people with type 2 diabetes, I'm often suggesting two tests a day and one day suggesting before breakfast and then two hours after breakfast on a different day before lunch, two, two hours after lunch on a different day before dinner, two hours after dinner. Because if someone after breakfast tested and they had a raised level, 
you really can't put that into a context until you know what their pre-breakfast result was. Because if that was higher than, than the target we would like, it's probably not what they ate for breakfast that, that's been the issue. It's the starting point. So I think that's where if we look at things strategically, if we're looking at the whole concept of this is getting really uh, good clinical information, then we're really able to uh, have a better understanding of how someone's diabetes is going. It's also, again, important for people who are at risk of hypoglycemia to know what their levels are before they're driving or in terms of maybe their lifestyle activities like you know cycling or surfing or bushwalking or their jobs so people that are driving uh, trucks buses taxis for example or working with heavy machinery again it's going to be important for them to test in terms of their own safety as well terrific thank you for that so let's talk about the equipment that we need and and in particular glucometers. I mean, there are obviously multiple brands available on the market. And what is the difference between them all? And are there some that are better than others, for example? Well, I, I love the fact that you've used the word glucometer because I can hear uh, the voice of our late and fabulous uh, Professor Tricia Dunning say, uh, what, a glucometer? You mean a, a machine, a brand that went out of production in 1997? Why on earth have you got a glucometer that, that's from the 1990s? And I remember she used to pounce on everyone that used to say, uh, after 1997, glucometers. And I think it does highlight the jargon that we often use because in some ways, if you don't Xerox a book and, and hoover a floor, often talking about brands and jargon may be lost uh, with people with diabetes. So I think it is useful to talk about uh, the equipment as blood glucose meters, for example, so that we're really not getting into um, the jargon. And there, as you say, there are so many choices. I, I know uh, when we're running our gestational diabetes clinic and we're giving uh, a meter to our ladies and we're asking them to go, you know, the next day, you know, to pick up some more strips, we're always telling them, take the machine with you. Uh, with your text message on your mobile phone to to your pharmacist to to uh, to get more blood glucose strips, please don't tell them it's a black meter because there's about seven or eight black meters on the market and they're all different. But when we are looking at uh, providing or suggesting certain meters, um, there could be a whole lot of functionality around certain meters that might suit the individual better with diabetes. So it might be the size of the graphics, for example, or whether they have that Bluetooth capacity uh, and can link onto an app on their phone, for example. Um, it might also be around the actual finger pricking uh, device as well, uh, which I think could be important. Thank you for that. So just talking about finger pricking then, I mean, sometimes it's the biggest obstacle, I guess, when it comes to blood glucose testing. And I wonder how you get past this barrier and can pr practitioners alleviate the pain associated with finger pricking? Because that's usually the major problem, isn't it? 
Look, I think it is probably the, I mean, it's the main reason I think why uh, people with diabetes are often reluctant to maybe do uh, additional testing at times. I mean, firstly, it's not covered under the NDSS subsidy. So, so I think that is an issue for a growing number of people, the costs and therefore often how often they're using uh, the needles and reusing the needles because of the cost. Um, I think it's also some of the devices. So some of the devices are a little bit more gentle on the fingers. So again, um, it, someone might be using the meter that suits their needs, but maybe the finger prick device is not the best one for them. So it may be suggesting getting a separate device uh, that suits them better. It's the obvious stuff around using the outside of the fingers rather than the centre tips of the fingers. And I guess, too, what we are always recommending is winding the depth number down to the lowest possible, but really pushing quite firmly onto the side of the fingers so that we're just breaking the skin. I must admit another couple of things that does make it easier for people is it, it is important that they're going to wash their hands uh, before doing the test with soap and water in case they've got something sticky on their fingers that can give a false reading. Again, in this post-COVID world, use, not using hand sanitizer just before testing because, again, the alcohol could uh, interfere with the accuracy of the results as well. But if people are having trouble getting a drop of blood, obviously warming their hands with warm water before testing, but when they've pricked their finger, rather than squeezing straight away, if they can wait maybe 10 seconds before squeezing that finger, you often get a better drop of blood. I don't know why it works that way, but it certainly can make a big difference for people as well. Every little bit helps, doesn't it? Okay, so last year saw the government subsidised continuous glucose monitoring devices for people with type 1 diabetes. And I guess the question I have is how does the use of CGM devices impact on diabetes control? And do we see the same impact with type 1 and type 2 diabetes with CGM devices? So we know there are many peer review published articles around improved glycemia for people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes uh, using uh, technology such as flash glucose monitoring and continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, and so we know, you know that that makes a huge difference, uh, being uh, able to not have to test uh, finger prick all the time to be able to have alarms that can alert people when they're going, when blood glucose levels are, are going too high or going too low or about to go too low so that they can do something to uh, prevent having that hypo. But I think it's also other things that are uh, uh, more are just as important uh, that we should be considering as well. And that's people's quality of life, their uh, degree of anxiety, uh, their degree of confidence around it and how uh, technology when used properly um, and supported well can reduce uh, that distress of having diabetes as well. So I think having the technology, but importantly, having uh, good education and good ongoing support uh, really can 
um, have enormous uh, benefits, both in terms of HbA1c results, um, uh, glucose variability, but also most importantly, the quality of life for someone with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And having uh, that subsidy uh, for people with type 1 diabetes is uh, incredibly uh, important. I would also um, make comment that um, we have increasingly uh, been able to get some access for subsidy for people with type 2 diabetes through the NDIS for people with uh, a disability that have an NDIS package where uh, continuous glucose monitoring or flash glucose monitoring uh, is very helpful for them. Uh, we've also had a few elderly people that have actually had this as part of their aged care package as well. So there are other ways um, outside the NDSS that you might be able to consider for certain people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, where this could be useful for them. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you for that. So how can CBEs empower their clients to take control of their diabetes through blood glucose monitoring? And can people living with diabetes be educated to take certain actions at certain levels, so giving them a little bit of ownership of the process? So again, I think it's all around education and support, that uh, it's uh, about being able to teach people what the information is about because people have gone from you know, two to four finger pricks a day to now having a, a glucose result every five minutes for 10 to 14 days. And that can often be overwhelming. And so some of the uh, problems or, or, or challenges that we see are, is when people with diabetes uh, can be overreacting uh, to some of the results that they're getting and uh, having, uh, say, rapid-acting insulin uh, far too often and what we call stacking uh, that insulin where they have a dose of insulin with a meal, they see the glucose levels rising and an hour later they're giving themselves an additional dose and, and, and giving and stacking that dose and then hypoing um, a couple of hours after that. And you can understand why... Uh, people might be doing that but it's also important to be able to give that education around again insulin time actions and how to be adjusting it's also then that opportunity to really uh, introduce for people with type 1 diabetes who might not have been really carb counting so much that might have had you know not felt so comfortable around doing that that we now have a way of getting clin uh, clinical information that's meaningful for them to actually work with them to uh, identify a carb ratio, sensitivity factors, so that they're getting more out of their rapid-acting insulin dosing as well. And so that can actually be the start of a lot of more education and ongoing support as well. Um, but... Again, with capillary blood glucose testing, uh, and again, I give the example of gestational diabetes, 
we teach all our women with gestational diabetes how to ultimately adjust their insulin and to empower them with that. So again, whether they're having a, a bedtime insulin because fasting blood glucose levels are high or they're having um, prandial insulin uh, to uh, try and, and, and ensure that postprandial uh, levels are in target, we actually provide um, education uh, and ongoing support for women to adjust their own insulin so that they're feeling more empowered and uh, it helps streamline our services as well. So it's important that uh, using technology and providing education and support is, is good for everyone in the, in the team in terms of how our resources are being used, but also how people with diabetes are managing their diabetes. It's also vital that that blood glucose testing is um, a cornerstone of developing sick day management plans as well, and importantly, when to be checking blood ketone levels. And so the we could not have this discussion about blood glucose testing without, again, reinforcing the importance of blood ketone uh, testing as well. So again, for people that might be using CGM or flash glucose monitoring, the need to have that meter for uh, blood ketone testing. And if something does go wrong with technology, the fallback that they can still do capillary blood glucose testing uh, as well. Great. Thank you so much for that. So just to finish off the topic, what are some of the tips that you use to motivate, motivate people living with diabetes to test their blood glucose levels more frequently? I, I think... The main thing is, again, around some of the language that we use. Uh, it's about getting away from, you know, that your results are good or they're bad. Uh, I, I don't think that's terribly useful. I, it's getting away from treating it as a task, as just something that you do when you write a number in a book, that it's really about meaningful information, really about finding out how the person's diabetes works for them, how it all get, comes together for them. Um, no matter how often um, my my uh, clients are checking their uh, blood glucose levels, no matter what those results are, at every appointment, I thank them for doing it. I thank them for the hard work that they're doing. And you might say, oh, but they're only testing once a week. I still thank them for doing that. I think we don't praise uh, people with diabetes enough for actually doing the testing in the first place. Uh, and then I think it's about having that conversation of why we're testing, for example, so that we're trying to work out how medication is working, how their diabetes is working. Uh, trying to do things in a strategic way so we're getting good information that we can um, uh, make some good decisions about as well. And often when we're restarting testing, so for example, if we're making big changes with medication, we might be starting a weekly GLP-1, for example, and the person with diabetes may not have been doing a lot of uh, blood glucose testing prior to this. 
again, rephrasing, reframing the concept of blood glucose testing as being a positive thing to see how the uh, glucose levels are going to start to uh, change. In fact, you know, with that we're our expectation that they're going to start to come down, that we may actually be reducing or stopping other medication because of uh, the very positive response of state starting something like a weekly GLP-1 or starting insulin. So that again, testing is not about seeing, if you like, how high everything is, how bad everything is, but actually to see how things are changing, what the improvements are as well. I think that's important to be, again, reframing why we do the testing. Again, it's also around making sure that we're uh, minimising uh, the pain and discomfort around testing as well and having that conversation and some of the tips and strategies to make it easier for people and, and less uncomfortable to be testing. I think the other thing is that we really look at the results. We don't just look at one week. Um, we flick back on the page if that's what they've got, or we're looking at the app. We're asking questions around some of the results so that we're really trying to be as engaged as possible um, as well so that, you know, we're uh, praising patients where we're wanting to have that dialogue with patients around some of their results so that we're really getting a good understanding of what's happening with their diabetes. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle, once again for your time today. And it's been really great to catch up with you again. Also to thank those of you taking the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CPD credit for this podcast, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete feedback evaluation. And so until next time, I'd like to say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.